0: get me out of here. Uh, You mightn't be a celebrity, but get me out of here tends to be our default position whenever we're faced with one of life's trials. If you're like me, you will not be good at seeing trials as opportunities for personal development. No, Trials are very much an unwelcome intrusion which we would like just to disappear or to pass as soon as possible. We just want to be on the other side of the trial. Well, James, the book that we're studying at the moment, James is going to challenge us in that. Uh, mindset. So uh, gird your loins for what may be an uncomfortable ride this morning. And if you remember back to last time, I said that the letter of James doesn't lend itself to um, a sort of simple analysis of thought flow. It's not always easy to see a sort of logical connection between the paragraphs. And, you know, it's hard at times to decide, you know, where does one section stop and a new one uh, begin? And I certainly find that true of today's study. So this is my best attempt at dividing up um, chapter one or part of chapter one. So last time we dealt with the grand total of one verse, verse 1 of James chapter 1. Today, we're going to be looking at a few more because we're going to read from uh, James chapter 1 from verse 2 through to verse 15. So if you've got your Bible, that's what we're reading now. And James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then... After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So we're going to um, study this section of uh, the book of James this morning. And I'm going to divide it up into five sections. And from each of the sections, and I want to sort of try to draw out one core lesson. The first section is verses two to four, which I have just labeled the correct attitude towards trials, the correct attitude towards trials. Verse two reads, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And there are at least Four important points made in that verse, in verse 2, by James. First of all is the certainty of trials. James writes, whenever you face trials, not if you face trials. All of us will face trials. Not one of us is exempt. As Warren Wearsby comments, making a play on how James addresses his readers in verse 1. We are God's scattered people, the, the, the diaspora that we thought about last time. We are God's scattered people, not his sheltered people. Um, Jeff, for Christmas or part of my Christmas present, bought me this uh, little book here by Alistair Begg. Um, Lynn I'll appreciate that. Alistair Begg, Brave by Faith. It's a wee short book. It's really based on um, the first seven chapters of Daniel, but it's all about, you know, how society has turned post-Christian and how we sort of uh, navigate that. It's a, it's an excellent book, which I really recommend to you. But Alistair Begg puts it in, in, in the book. He says, we are delivered Through the furnace, not from the furnace. And things are going to get hotter. Um, And he's writing in American context, obviously, where things have caught up a wee bit with maybe what's happening um, even in Europe. Second, uh, James talks about the diverse nature of trials. Trials will come in all manner of forms. And actually, the word that James employs there for um, you know, various trials, trials of many kinds, it's the same word that is used in the Bible of Joseph's multicolored coat, you know, varied, multicolored. Trials can take the form of health issues. A lot of people going through that at the moment in this fellowship financial pressures, family problems, and it can be problems in the workplace, bereavement, uh, broken relationships. And remember that as Christians, we face additional troubles due to the world's hatred of the one whom we owe allegiance to, our Lord Jesus Christ Christ. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. And thirdly, note the opening word in verse 2. Consider. That is actually, believe it or not, a financial term. And it's the idea of reckoning or calculating. So James is dealing with our mindset. He is not talking about how we feel, but rather how we should think as we approach and go through trials. And fourthly, he says, consider it pure joy. And this is the bit that just seems so counterintuitive and certainly a very far cry from my get me out of here. However, it's important to appreciate what James isn't saying. James is not saying that as we face trials that we should sort of be ecstatic or that we should be giving a rendition of don't worry, be happy. Remember, James is talking about our mindset, not our feelings. James is no masochist. Trials produce difficult emotions and they are anything but hard experiences. Otherwise, they would not be a trial. No, James is urging his readers and urging us today to adopt a positive mindset towards trials. And in verses 3 to 4 then, he tells us why. It is for what trials have the potential to produce within us. Trials will test our faith. They will refine our faith. They will help get rid of some of the dross in our lives. They will produce perseverance. And the idea is that of stickability. Of spiritual stamina. Which in turn will lead us on the way to spiritual maturity and completeness we will fill out in our spiritual lives we will become more like the Christ-like people that God intends us to be that is why we are not to shy away from trials but rather embrace them when they as they inevitably will, come into our lives. And James is no lone spiritual voice in urging. So if by a time we could go to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 or what Peter says in his first epistle, chapter 1 as well, they echo what James is saying about our, the correct approach to trials. And our first lesson then for this morning is the need to reject uh, escapism. Rather than run a million miles, rather than bury our heads in the sand, ostrich-like, rather than try to wish them away by some sort of positive thinking, or even pray them away, we need to face our trials head-on and see them as opportunities for spiritual growth. Like a physical muscle requires resistance to become stronger. Hence why some like to punish their bodies by weight training in a gym. And notice I do not include myself in that category. We will not develop spiritual muscles without undergoing the experience of testing and trial. And thus, we may come to treat our trials as what Derek Tidball calls God's messengers for good. Alistair Begg in this book says, When we shun trials, we miss blessings. Blessings. So we ought not to say, get me out of here. But Lord, work within me to mold me into Christ's likeness as you carry me through this particular trial, this ordeal. The next section then is verses 5 to 8. The requirement for wisdom to negotiate trials. Verse 5 begins, if any of you lack wisdom, and wisdom, of course, is one of the foremost themes in James's epistle. Indeed, if we associate maybe faith with Paul, we associate um, hope with Peter, love with John, it is wisdom with James." It is important to differentiate between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is purely cognitive. Knowledge is the facts and information that we possess, but wisdom is the capacity to use our knowledge in a way that is practical and sensible. We all know that there is such a thing as highly educated fools. But wisdom, or at least godly wisdom, is more to be prized. And who can say that they are never in need of wisdom, especially as you go through a trial? We need wisdom to firstly to see God's hand in the trial, And secondly, we need wisdom to help us to negotiate, to navigate our way through the trial. James then exhorts us to ask for wisdom. And he assures us that where we ask in the right spirit, more on that in a moment, he will give it to us and give it in abundance. Um, James says there about that, if you ask for wisdom in the right spirit, that God will give generously. God gives generously. And the word for generously is found only here in the New Testament. And it carries the root meaning of with single minded intent. God is absolutely determined. That if you ask for wisdom in the right spirit as you go through a trial. God is determined to give you wisdom. And he says that God will do so without finding fault. He's not going to rebuke you for your past failures. But there is a caveat. We must believe and not doubt God. And once again. It's vital to understand you know, what James is saying here. He is not saying that we can never entertain questions around our faith or around our difficult circumstances. But what he is saying is twofold. Firstly, we must trust that God will direct and guide us. Otherwise, we will be all over the place like a wave tossed about by the wind. And secondly, we must really want God's direction. And that means that we will then be willing to go to obey whenever God shows us the way through the trial. We must not be double-minded on this matter. And James here uses another word that is only found here in the New Testament. And indeed, it's found nowhere else in Greek literature of, the, of this period. Some commentators think that James actually coined this word, this term himself. And it is the term double-souled. Double-souled. And it means facing both ways. Facing both ways. That is... Unlike God's single-minded determination to give us wisdom, to show us the way through the trial, the double mind, double-souled the double man wants to hedge his bets. I might listen to you, God. I might go the way that you're showing me, but I might not. I might listen to the wisdom of the world. And James is saying, if that's your attitude... Do not expect any answer to your prayer. And the second lesson then is the need to resist fence sitting. William Barclay describes the sort of man that James has in view here as a walking civil war. He just won't commit to God alone. His loyalties are fundamentally divided. If that describes our attitude, then to build on James's seafaring analogy, we can expect to hit the rocks. What we need is a full-blooded trust in God. Trusting that he will be with us and that he will take us through to a safe landing. If not in this life, then in the life to come. If we trust in the rock, then we needn't fear hitting the rocks. And I coined that one myself, so I'm rather <laughs> proud of it. Although pride's a sin, so Lord, I <laughs> repent. I repent. Third section, verses nine to eleven: the need for an eternal perspective. This third section is one of those bits of James's letter where it's not all that easy to see the link with what has just gone before, but presumably it must reflect the reality that some of the hardships, some of the trials that James's readers were experiencing were the result of poverty and particularly exploitation by the rich. And James's exhortation is twofold. The poor brother should remember that he is spiritually rich, whilst the rich man should bear in mind that his earthly wealth is transient. Just as the scorching heat withers the flower, worldly riches are here today and gone tomorrow. Uh, uh, The Australian commentator John Dixon uh, speaks of Godly economics at work here. Those who are materially poor now. Are actually spiritually rich. Whilst those who are materially rich now. Are often spiritually poor. And I commend his reference to economics. It reminds me of my past existence. As an economics teacher. Our third lesson then. Is the need to reject materialism. How easy it is to get caught up in the pursuit of material gain or to find our security in our property and our possessions rather than, you know, in God. Jesus himself taught of the menace of what he called the deceitfulness of wealth in the famous parable of the sower. And indeed here we have another link and here we have another link to what James has just said Jesus proclaimed that the love of money was the cause of double-mindedness remember our double-souled man double-mindedness no one can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Luke 16 verse 13. Materialism will sap our spiritual vitality. We will lose our eternal perspective as we get caught up with the here and now. And of course... If we appreciate this, then the allure of the so-called prosperity gospel will vanish. Um, I mean, I just find it hard to believe. How do advocates of the prosperity gospel, that if you come to Jesus and you'll know health and wealth, what are they going to make of a passage like that in James? And talking about at uh, The inevitability of trials. But not only that. The fact that trials actually assist your spiritual development. Not getting more into your bank balance. Or recovering from illness. That's not, that's not what brings spiritual development according to James. So two more sections to go if we have time. Verse 12. Just one verse the reward for enduring trials. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is a beatitude, a statement of blessing, and one that mirrors what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount regarding those who bear persecution for his name's sake. Blessed are the persecuted. Secondly, is the promise of reward, the crown of life. James refers here to the Stephanus or to the laurel wreath that was given to the victor in an athletic contest. And note that it is given to those who persevered under trial, who stood the test, and who love him, love God. If James has already dealt with the positive effect of undergoing trials today, that is the filling out of our Christian character today, here he is referring to the ultimate outcome when we get to, go- to glory. There will be an eternal reward for those who faithfully endure trials. And our fourth lesson then is the need to reject despondency because let's face it it is so easy to get down even to be crushed by our trial sometimes we can think about nothing else it just seems to disable us altogether and yet if we draw upon James's teaching and remember then that if we persevere unwilling to disavow our allegiance to Christ, then we are going to be rewarded in glory. And we do need to stress here that that is an entirely honourable motivation. Some people, some Christians think this idea of, um, the idea that working for an eternal reward Or the the prospect of an eternal reward is somehow, you know, tainted. Mm, That sounds very selfish or something. No, rewards are held out in scripture as incentives, as spurs to holy living and to faithfulness. There is nothing to be embarrassed about in looking forward to a reward. And I say this, a God of justice, a God of justice will reward those who are faithful to him. We're not talking here about earning your salvation. We're talking about saved people whose lives are given over to him. You know, God is a fair God. Someone who lives all out for Christ in this life. Someone who suffers horrendous persecution In this life for Christ, God is going to reward that person more than somebody who's just lived a nominal existence and a very comfortable, compromising lifestyle. Fifthly, trials versus temptations, the last section. Um, It's not easy to differentiate between trials and temptations. And it's not made any easier by the fact that the same word in the Greek is used for both, for trials and temptations. But I know this is a simplification, but if we think of trials as essentially pressures which test our faith, and temptations as those things which entice us to sin, I think that's maybe helpful. Tests are largely external. You know, we can't really avoid them. But we have to negotiate our way through them for however long it takes. It could be all of life. But temptations are largely internal. And we can often nip temptations in the bud or we can choose to cultivate them in our minds and hearts before potentially then giving into them with our actions. Tests have the potential for good, temptations for evil. I realize it's not just such a you know black and white thing, but you know, there is some sort of difference between them. I Supposed to give an example. Um, if you are made redundant through no fault of your own, and you suffer a period of unemployment, that is a test, okay? You have no control over that. That's a test. If your boss comes to you and says, what about this promotion? Um, Now, this is going to give you a lot more money, but I'm sorry now, You're going to have to uh, recognize that you're going to have a lot less time for family and see your commitment to church. No, look, you'll not be able to marry it with that. You'll have to really cut back. That's a temptation. Third, uh, a few comments then upon these verses before wrapping up with the final lesson First note that just as with trials James says when tempted not if Sam Albury writes temptation is our constant companion from cradle to grave. Secondly God is never the source of temptation unlike trials which may be ordained by God for our good temptation never originates with God. God is beyond temptation himself, and he tempts no one with evil. Temptation comes from within us, from our own desires. I've sort of beaten by the the clock here, but I just want to mention um, our fifth and final lesson, and that is the need to reject blame shifting. Ever since the Garden of Eden... Man has sought to blame others for his sin. The culprit is not me, but my circumstances, my family background, society, my peers, the devil and his demons, or even God himself. And today, more than ever, we live in a blame culture, a blame culture. Um, James says... If you face temptation, do not put the blame on God. Unfortunately, in the society in which we live today, the blame is attached elsewhere. Some of you may have heard of critical theory. Critical theory says that what is wrong with the world? It is, um, it's, it's oppression. People are victims. But it's not the responsibility, it's not due to personal sin. It's the fault of the way society and culture is organised. Therefore, what must happen to change things is there must be a constant and ongoing social revolution where institutions are radically overthrown and culture is transformed. There is no mention about personal sin about admitting that the problem rests first and foremost with ourselves. And that message out there is totally in contradiction of the biblical message. What is wrong with the world? It starts in my heart, it's my sin. First thing I must do is acknowledge my sin and repent of it, not blame others, not blame society. Certainly don't blame God. But praise God, we have in Jesus Christ one who died for our personal sin so that you and I might be forgiven and might come to experience life in all its fullness both here and in the age to come. So don't try to pass the buck. Own up to your own sin and turn to Christ for forgiveness. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.